Coming up on Stu Does America, I know the raging global pandemic and nationwide riots have taken up a lot of storage space in our brain CPUs. But remember a few months back when all that insane stuff was coming out about Hunter Biden and China? Well, that's still all going on. Peter Schweizer will tell us about it in a preview of the new documentary, Riding the Dragon, the Biden's Chinese Secrets, which you can find on Blaze TV and features Peter himself. Watch it right now with a Blaze TV subscription. And if you don't have one of those, what are you waiting for? Head to blazetv.com, use the promo code DRAGON20 to score 20 bucks off your subscription cost. But if you'd rather watch a documentary for free on YouTube, you can do that too. That's totally fine. Head to the Blaze TV page and we'll be releasing a few chapters every day leading up to the full free release on Friday, September 4th. Joe Biden managed to mumble yawn his way through another speech today. So we'll look at that with the violence in our streets, more on China. Let's do the Ch Biden's Chinese secrets. Stu does America. Watch one of those horror movies where the character slowly walks towards the camera and then in the dark closet in the background you can make out the outline of some creepy, distorted, non-human form. Everyone watching the movie can see the murderous death creature behind them, but they're too stupid to realize it. Turn around, moron! Well, that's what's going on right now in the presidential race. All of us at home could see this coming. We knew that violence in cities was a big deal. We knew suburban moms were not going to take kindly to their local auto zones and targets getting set on fire. We knew cops being head, uh, hit in the head with bricks for no reason was not going to stand. But the Democrats kept walking toward the camera, hoping that it would all go away as long as they kept saying, don't worry, they're mostly peaceful, murderous closet monsters. Now the polls are moving and Biden is appropriately terrified. Today, he made yet another speech trying to convince people it's Donald Trump's fault that there is violence in these Democratic cities. Let's go through the mental gymnastics necessary, shall we? Uh, let's uh, lead it off. This is towards the beginning of the speech. Joe Biden uh, talking about Donald Trump and how it's pretty much his fault. The incumbent president is incapable of telling us the truth, incapable, incapable of or facing capable. the facts and incapable of healing. Capable. He doesn't want to shed light. He wants to generate heat, Ooh. and he's stroking violence in our cities. Don't you dare stroke violence in your cities. You could stoke it, but do not stroke it. That's bad. Uh, here is uh, Joe Biden talking about uh, trying to have his little sister soldier moment here, right? Clinton in the 90s had his sister soldier moment, calling out your own side uh, for something they're doing wrong. Here he is trying to make that sell. The polls are scary. So here he goes. The senseless violence of looting and burning and destruction of property. I want to make it absolutely clear. Okay. Something very clear about all of this. Okay, do that. Rioting is not protesting. What? Looting is not protesting. Oh, wait! Setting fires is not protesting. Yes, it is. None of this is protesting. What? It's lawlessness. I've been told. Plain and simple. Oh. And those who do it should be prosecuted. <gasps> violence will not bring change. That's just racism right there. Straight out racism, guys. I was told very clearly that setting fires was protesting. Uh, here is uh, Biden now trying to uh, uh, align himself with the business owner who just saw their life's work go down the train, drain in a giant fire uh, during a riot. Uh, here he is trying to appeal to that crowd. It divides instead of unites, mm. destroys businesses, only hurts Jesus. the working families that serve the community. Yeah, that's what we've been saying, Joe. It makes things worse across the board, not yeah. better. Oh, really? Hmm. No, it's not what uh, Dr. King or John Lewis taught. No, probably not. And it must end. <laughs> Fires are burning and we have a president who fans the flames. Oh, wait. Rather than fighting the flames. Ah, you see the little turn there? 
Now he just wants to make sure that you know it's actually Trump's fault, to be clear. The fires are bad, but the fires are Trump's fault. Uh, here he is trying to go on and, and work that, that, that side of the room a little bit, uh, talking about how really all this inflamed violence is, is basically on the president's shoulders. He can't stop the violence because for years he's fomented it. Oh, okay. You know, he may believe, you know, mouthing the words law and order makes him strong. What does it do? But his failure to call on his own supporters to stop acting as an armed militia in this country shows how weak he is. Oh, he's not calling his own. Does anyone believe there'll be less violence in America if Donald Trump is reelected? I mean, think about this. He's still not called Antifa out. He's not called Black Lives Matter out for that violence, especially specifically. And then now he's trying to say that it's Trump's fault. Trump, I mean, like, his whole point is Trump won't call out the people on his side of the argument that are a problem. Yet, let me make a speech about the violence being bad and then blame it on Trump. In other words, not calling out my side of the argument. He's trying to have his sister soldier moment, but he's trying to blame the other side of the aisle. It doesn't work. The whole point of that moment is to blame your side of the aisle. Uh, but there is one moment here that I think encapsulates this entire thing. Um, this is what they're trying to do. This is their main sell to you. You might think, oh, well, this is crazy. Uh, he, you know, why, why is he hanging out with AOC? Why does Bernie Sanders like him? Why, why Biden's hit a, hidden radicalism was a show we did last week. Go back and watch that. Look at all the people on the far left who are praising Biden right now. Why is he uh, aligning with rioters? He has one argument to try to make you believe that's not what he's doing. Here it is. You know me. Oh. You know my heart. Oh, your heart. You know my story, mm -hmm, yeah. my family story. You do know that, yes. Ask yourself. Okay. Do I look like a radical socialist <laughs> with a soft spot for rioters? Really? <laughs> really? I'm convincing. I want a safe America. Trust me. Safe from COVID. Safe mm. from crime and looting. Oh. Safe from racially motivated violence. Okay. Safe from bad cops. Bad cops. Let me be crystal clear. Safe from four more years of Donald Trump. Ooh, there you go. See, he doesn't look like a dictator. He doesn't look like a socialist. He doesn't look like a guy who would be on that side. He doesn't look like a guy who would excuse riot rioters, rioters and, and such. Uh, but, you know, that's what we've been having for the past few months. This is their pitch to you to try to get you to vote for them. Is this going to work? Do people going to believe this? Are people going to erase their memory from the past few months? We'll get into more of the speech in a little bit, but I, I think you have grasped the level of desperation we're seeing from Joe Biden. That's the bad news for him. The good news is he woke up and was able to stand at a podium for like 20 straight minutes. Good job, Joe. All this is happening before anyone in the mainstream media is really looking into Biden's corruption, especially with how he's dealing with China. We'll get into that with Peter Schweizer, who joins us to go through all of it. It's a complicated story, but put in about 15 minutes and you'll understand it better than anyone in the media. Peter is up next. So, uh, I don't know if you've looked outside at all lately. You know that orange glow, that beautiful orange glow coming from your street? Well, uh, it is time uh, to talk about some things that are a little uncomfortable. There's no denying that 2020 has been a crazy year, and sadly, it seems that things aren't getting better anytime soon. You may have seen things you never thought you'd see, right, in your own cities and your own towns. Looting, riots, people being killed in their homes, and innocent civilians shot simply driving through their neighborhood. You've seen it on the news, and you probably thought how you might protect yourself and loved ones uh, if you found yourself in a situation. It's time to take precautions you never thought necessary. Body armor is something that I never thought I'd ever need body armor. What are you talking about? When it's the United States of America here, I'm not going to be fighting in a war. Well, it's not, you don't need a war anymore. Uh, you're in one. 
it seems like half the time in some of these cities. Um, if you want to help keep your family safe during these troubled times, consider it. Uh, since 2012, AR500 Armor has been the industry-leading manufacturer of high-quality and high-value body armor. Go to ar500armor.com slash stew today to uh, find the exclusive, exclusive special offer. Use the code stew at checkout, at checkout for 20% off. These special offers are just for my audience. They expire in two weeks. The best day to prepare, of course, yesterday. The second best day, of course, is today. Protect yourself and your family now with AR500 Armor at AR500Armor.com slash stew. AR500Armor.com slash stew. Happy to welcome back to the program president of the Government Accountability Institute and author of Profiles in Corruption, Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elite, Peter Schweizer. Peter has partnered with Blaze TV to distribute the docu- new documentary he's featured in. It's Riding the Dragon, The Biden's Chinese Secrets. Full documentary is available now for Blaze TV subscribers, which you should be one. Uh, you can use the uh, promo code DRAGON20 for $20 off a Blaze TV subscription. See uh, the film, get access to all the content. Uh, it's a great uh, deal. Peter, thanks for coming on the program. Great to be back with you, Stu. Yeah, you were one of the first guests on the show, you know. Oh, really? It was like the first I week, I think. It. It, um, was like the, it was like, I think I told you this earlier, it was like The Tonight Show. Johnny Carson, I felt. <laughs> with like the the background and the style and everything so yeah yeah if, when you had the you you got the the benefit of the uh, the, the the television uh, sitting over your head which is a little bit different than today <laughs> um so it's amazing to uh to see all this kind of come together as we're getting close to the election i remember when your book came out mm-hmm. and you went through you profiled a lot of the candidates in this book right and you know as it sort of settled into the joe biden situation we had no idea what we were about to launch into with the covid situation and all the craziness that has happened since i think it's really important that you've come back with this documentary because it highlights this story in a, in a digestible way for people who are maybe making their decision on who to vote for, uh, they can really kind of get it in an understandable fashion. Um, and it's hard to miss it once you start watching this documentary. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a film production company, Lightspeed Pictures. I'd worked with them before on previous documentaries. And they said, you know, this is a important, in-depth somewhat complicated story. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you start getting into the details, so how can we put this together so it makes it accessible to people? And they came up with this this system of chapters where the story kind of builds upon itself. And I thought it was a brilliant way for them to put it together. And um, yeah, I think it's it's very powerful and very important and very digestible for people to access, to learn what was the relationship, what is the relationship between the Biden family and the Chinese? Um, Why should we care? And what are the implications for not just for the Biden's making money, but the implications for America as a result of those deals? You can get the uh, whole thing at Place TV uh, now if you're a subscriber. However, uh, if you, YouTube, you're releasing like one chapter kind of a day, right? Yes. Uh, the whole thing will be out on Friday. So no excuses. If you're on podcast, you can get this anywhere you want uh, this week, which is great. Um, the the Ukraine part of the Hunter Biden saga, if you will. Got a lot of attraction a few months ago, and people really went through that. I don't know that everybody understands it, mm-hmm. um, but the China part of this really didn't get a lot of attention, I thought. Um, however, you start with the documentary, you kind of have to set the table with the Ukraine part of this. What's important about Ukraine as it ties into China? Uh, what I think Ukraine sort of epitomizes is the fact that the Bidens have this very transactional relationship on the world stage with foreign governments and foreign oligarchs. And that is they had really no international deals 
until Joe Biden became president. Right. So, I mean, just think about that. He's in public life for 30, 35 years. They don't have any foreign deals. Suddenly he, he's the fact that he's a, uh, still an influential guy. Of in course. Senate. None of this happens. Yeah. He was on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. But suddenly he becomes vice president of the United States. And lo and behold, <laughs> all these foreign powers suddenly want to start doing deals with his family. So Ukraine to me shows the transactional nature. The fact that Joe Biden becomes appointed the point person on policy towards Ukraine literally within three to four weeks. His son bags a million dollar a year deal with the Ukrainian energy company. Of course, Hunter has no background in energy or in Ukraine. That doesn't matter. So Ukraine, to me, is sort of emblematic of the larger problem. But with China, we're not talking about some sort of corrupt country that, that is looking for U.S. aid and looking for favors. We're looking at America's chief rival on the global stage. They want to supplant us and replace us as the global superpower. And that, to me, takes it to a totally different level. And this is acknowledged by none other than the Obama-Biden administration. Yes. Who is specifically trying to enact a policy, the pivot, uh, where they're trying to rework this relationship. Yes. And this is the part where... Biden, Hunter Biden gets incredibly lucky, uh, coincidentally. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, we begin the film in the first chapter with sort of this montage of statements, and it really shows the depth, I think, of largely the consensus among a lot of people in leadership in Washington that China is a threat to the United States. They're a military threat, yeah. economic threat, political challenge. Uh, we even have a quote in there from uh, Ben Rhodes, who is the national security advisor to, uh, to Barack Obama, saying China is much more of a problem than Russia is. And then it comes to the end of this montage. And there is Joe Biden saying, China's a threat. Come on, man. Um, and, and it really highlights to me how out of touch he is with where pretty much everybody else is that's looked at this issue in Washington, D.C., whether it's Barack Obama, Donald Trump, people in the military or people in the national security apparatus. And Joe Biden's position literally you can quote him extensively, is China's not a threat. We should welcome the fact that they are this rising power. Uh, and the notion that they're anything other than friends is just patently absurd. And what the film tries to answer is, why are his views on this so out of step? And I think it has a lot to do with the commercial benefits that his family derives from their business dealings with the Chinese government. Because yeah, you can make the argument that Biden would be friendly to China from somewhat of an ideological standpoint where or, you know, God only knows. Right. I mean, there's a right. hundred reasons why. But you do a good job in the movie or the, the documentary, I guess, talking about um, how this is really the family business. Right. Yeah. Like this is not just Hunter and it's not just Joe. The, the entire family's livelihood sort of lives and dies based on what sort of influence Joe Biden has. That's right. And it's kind of always been that way, honestly. I mean, if you look at the history of the family. You know, before Joe Biden was vice president, when he was a senator, Hunter Biden was a lobbyist and he worked for a lobbying firm that had Delaware clients. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, what a, what a lo, and lo and behold. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's been that way with, with his brothers, with his sister, et cetera. Once he became vice president, it became a global endeavor rather than just sort of, you know, typical rank and file cronyism and corruption. And the challenge, I think, is that the Bidens don't seem to be constrained by who the deals are done with. You know, Ukraine is OK. It's sketchy. It's not good. Uh, but here's China. China that, that is militarily challenging the United States, is stealing our technology, is engaged in widespread espionage. And what happens is Hunter Biden goes into business 
literally with the Chinese government. The, the Chinese government funds this investment fund, BHR. They put him on the board of directors. They make his business partner the vice chairman of this entity. Even though Hunter has no background in private equity and no background in China. And then, Stu, they start acquiring companies that are of national security benefit to the Chinese government. So this isn't just about the Bidens making money, yeah. courtesy of the Chinese. It's got serious national security implications. That's what's really interesting, because I, you had said this back when you were on, on the show and on radio uh, at the beginning of this, and that Ukraine, even when it was the hot story, was interesting, but... But the China thing has a lot more to it. I think there's more layers to it there yeah. because you're right. It, it, you know, it's not just his his efforts with, you know, Heinz and 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 uh, Bohai Harvest, as you point out. Um, it, it is that these companies were essentially working against the U.S. government while Biden was the vice president. Exactly. How is that possible? <laughs> it's possible in a world where you're willing to monetize public service and you're willing to basically do deals with almost anybody. Um, you know, to give a couple of examples, I mean, one of them, you know, Hunter Biden, again, on the on the board of directors of BHR, his, his business partner is the vice chairman and is on the investment committee. What do they do? They start acquiring companies or investing in companies that are part of the Chinese national security state. So Hunter Biden's firm becomes an anchor investor in something called CGN, China General Nuclear. Mm -hmm. um, they buy a stake in it. Within eight months, eight months, that same company that now the vice president's firm is an investor in, an anchor investor, is charged by our FBI for stealing nuclear secrets. Specifically, what this company is doing is trying to get access to technology related to these small reactors that sit on nuclear submarines. It's a huge military advantage for the United States. And yet the son of the vice president's firm is involved with a company that is stealing nuclear secrets from the United States. And there's multiple examples of things like that. There's no real explanation for this other than they were prepared to look the other way. They were prepared to cash in and they really don't think that even this kind of behavior represents a threat to the United States. You go through in, in the in the in the film about the, this idea that Hunter Biden is getting these deals that no one else is getting. Right. And there's this trip to China, family trip. Yeah. Uh, Hunter, Joe, together. Yeah. They break off at some point. We don't know exactly what happens, but can you kind of walk us through the, that meeting and what it led to? Yes, and, th and this is sort of a great illustration of how it works, and it's also an illustration of how the Biden team has, has lied mm. when asked about this. So this is the December 2013 trip. Joe Biden is vice president of the United States, is flying on Air Force Two. He goes to Beijing. Hunter Biden goes with him on Air Force Two. Joe Biden has all these meetings with top Chinese officials. Hunter Biden, we don't really know everything that he's doing. We do know now, later on, that his business partner, who he was forming BHR with, um, was actually introduced to Joe Biden by Hunter. So there was this sort of mixing and melding. Mm. But Stu, here's where it's very interesting. When we first broke this story, we talked about it on your show. ABC News looked at it. Um, did actually a pretty good report on it. But here's what the Biden team said. The Biden team said, you know, 
Um, it's, it's not accurate to infer that this trip was connected with the formation of BHR because that happened 10 days later. But the actual meeting where BHR was organized was in June. It was earlier in the year, and that was handled by other people. Well, here's what's interesting about this, Stu. Okay. Hunter Biden's travel records were released by Judicial Watch. They got them through a Freedom of Information Act request. These are the Secret Service travel logs. Where was Hunter Biden in June of that year? Beijing, China. Mm. So, you know, the notion that 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 somehow this has happened distantly and they try to create this impression where, you know, Hunter kind of was vaguely aware of this. He really wasn't deeply involved in it is is just completely bogus. And they don't want to they don't want people to know the extent to which these deals were done and how involved the Bidens were in doing them. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's uh, and, you know, the, this pursuit of, it's hard to put it past too far, at least past just the pursuit of money and power it would, is what it feels like. Um, because, but it goes deeper than that. I mean, you, you point out the Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. And they have a, a pretty... Uh, you know, I mean, this is this is somebody who's they've studied this hard, yeah. uh, and they've come up with a completely different conclusion than yeah. than than, uh, than pretty much everybody else on this issue. Yeah. I mean, is it is it deep enough that that they're planning this stuff out? Is it just that you know Biden just happens to come, it just happens to be on the wrong side of every issue that happens to benefit uh, his family? Well, there's a, a quote from uh, you know the the, the old uh, muckraker Upton Sinclair that it's hard to get somebody to believe something when their paycheck wants them to believe something else, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I think you're dealing with with the Bidens. Um, you know, the Chinese are very shrewd in how they curry favor with with elites around the world, not just the United States. And one of the ways in which they do it is they basically say we're going to open up our market, we're going to give benefit, you're going to become wealthy um, by doing so. And the Bidens have. And that, I think, is a motivation for Joe Biden to look the other way. Now, certainly Joe Biden is you know, more politically liberal, so maybe he's less inclined to see China as a threat. But again, it's important to point out, Stu, he is much more soft on China than a Barack Obama was, that Barack Obama's national security advisor was, mm. that, that Hillary Clinton was, um, much softer. And, and so the question becomes, why is that? And if you look at the sort of Biden business model of how they conduct themselves as it relates to this intersection of, of political power and commercial benefit, this is essentially what the Chinese are looking for, and this is essentially what they've been given, a, a soft posture. The Biden Center, which, which uh, Joe Biden set up at the University of Pennsylvania to look at American foreign policy, when it was set up, they listed three threats that they felt were the biggest threats facing America. This is, this is in 2017, the three biggest threats facing America. They are Russia, global warming, and terrorism. No mention of China. China's doing all this stuff in the South China Sea. They're harassing the American military. They're hacking into U.S. government websites, the Office of Personnel Management and Budget. But that somehow does not warrant threat status in the minds of the Biden camp. It's mystifying. It really is. So what do you say to a person who is looking at this election and they're saying, "Okay, look, Biden, yeah, he's corrupt, but they're all corrupt. Everybody in Washington is corrupt. I don't know what's going on with the Trump. And, you know, who knows? Donald Trump's got all sorts of dealings all overseas. It's all the same. But I, you know, I'm not a fan of of Donald Trump. I'm going to go with Joe Biden. 
Is Joe Biden unique? We all know people in Washington are corrupt. Is he corrupt to some unique level? Uh, I I think he is uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, there are plenty of people in Washington on both sides of the aisle who are not corrupt. Mm -hmm. So I always tell the cynic, it's not true. There are are good people on both sides of the aisle, agree or disagree. But the Bidens are unique in a lot of respects. I would differentiate them from the Trumps in that the Trumps made their money before there was any involvement in politics, Mm -hmm. before he ever ran for political office. You could say the same thing for Michael Bloomberg. The point is the Bidens are fundamentally different. Joe Biden's been in public service or in government service for 40 years. Their entire business model, what they have, the, the, the nickels that they have to rub together, and there are a lot of nickels, um, all flows out of the government power that he has had. And the problem is, as I said, we're not talking about the sort of typical corruption where, you know, you give your uncle a paving contract, you know, for some kind. Of, <laughs> yeah. We're talking about your willingness to do commercial deals with America's chief rival. China says they want to supplant the United States militarily by 2030. They want to, by 2025, challenge our economic supremacy. They want to restructure and reorganize the world order. These are all things that, that, that their leader, uh, Mr. Xi, has said. So that's who you're willing to take money from and do business with, that's very different than any other sort of corruption uh, that I've investigated before. I I will say, though, uh, remembering back to your book, uh, his brothers have plenty of deals that are also like the paving contract. (laughs) There (laughs) is a lot of that going on. There is that, too. Absolutely. No question about it. (laughs) Both things are there. Uh, We're going to come back with more with Peter Schweizer. Uh, The documentary is uh, on Blaze TV now. Go to blazetv.com slash dragon, or you can go to the YouTube page of Blaze TV. On Friday, the entire documentary will be out, but they're, you know, we're releasing one chapter per day or a couple chapters, I think, on day one. So make sure you see all of this. Uh, it's uh, on Blaze TV now. Go to blazetv.com. I think the code is DRAGON20 to save you 20 bucks. Back in a second. back with more from uh, Peter Schweizer, who uh, is featured in the new Blaze TV distributed documentary, Riding the Dragons, The Biden's Chinese Secrets. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, what are you doing? We're releasing a, a new chapter every day this week. The full documentary premiering on YouTube on September 4th. But if you're a subscriber, you get it right now. Dragon 20 is the code to save 20 bucks. Um, the documentary, you got to watch it. You got to know about Biden. What's been interesting here is and I remember when we first had you on, you were on one of the first shows of Studios America. Mm-hmm. And I was excited to talk to you about all the different candidates that were still in the race. Right. And if I remember right, right, pretty recently before um, we talked, Kamala Harris dropped out. Yeah. And you have a great chapter in your book about Kamala Harris. Can you kind of refresh people's memory about the truth about Kamala? Yeah, I mean, the thing you, people have to understand about Kamala Harris is before she was a senator, for a long time, she was a prosecutor. Uh, she was a prosecutor in San Francisco, the district attorney, and she was California attorney general. And there's one consistent thing you find during that entire period, and that is how selective she was in protecting political friends and allies from you know criminal the repercussions of criminal conduct um, and throwing the book at other people. So go back to 2002 when she is uh, first running, sorry, 2003 when she's running for San Francisco District Attorney. Now she's running against this progressive incumbent, a guy named Terrence Hallinan, uh, who it's Willie Brown, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. He's mayor. 
huge corruption problems. So he's bringing charges against all kinds of Willie Brown friends. The head of the San Francisco Planning Commission has been caught taking $180,000 from developers. So Hallinan's charging him. There's a guy named Ramirez who runs a cement company. He's selling subpar concrete to the city public works department. Almost too stereotypical. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and they're going to use this, 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 you know, subpar concrete for like parking garages and bridges. I mean, this is kind of serious stuff. He gets caught. He's a Willie Brown friend. So he's, he's going after him. Terrence Hallinan's going after him as well. Kamala Harris runs against Terrence Hallinan with the help of Willie Brown, who had, of course, been her boyfriend before. Mm -hmm. uh, they had dated for a while, but he now helps her get elected. He raises money for her. Uh, her campaign manager is one of Willie Brown's political aides. Um, there's independent expenditure by Willie Brown friends. They basically uh, get put Kamala in office. She beats Terrence Hallinan. One of the first things she does, she drops the charges, <laughs> the corruption charges against Willie Brown's friends. Wow. Um, the guy who was the cement contractor, he's literally putting people's lives in danger. She drops the charges and he ends up pleading on a sort of minor environmental charge. Doesn't have to go to jail, doesn't face any of those repercussions. Um, that's kind of the beginning of the pattern that you see. When she then becomes California Attorney General, uh, she uh, meets her husband, who's a lawyer um, in, in Los Angeles, um, and, um, you know, which is great. But here's the problem. Uh, there are complaints um, uh, in California, seven to eight hundred of them flow into her office about Herbalife, this, this supplements uh, company. Right. Um, and these complaints are largely coming from the people in the Hispanic community saying that they believe there's fraudulent uh, behavior taking place. Kamala Harris's office uh, a prosecutor sends her a memo and says, we've got these seven to 800 complaints. We need to investigate this and we probably ought to consider prosecuting Herbalife. Kamala Harris not only doesn't prosecute them, she says, I don't even want you to investigate Herbalife. Here's what's interesting. Her husband's law firm, Hmm. Who's their top client? <laughs> I've got one guess. Yeah, yeah. Herbalife. Uh. Exactly, Herbalife. And she didn't recuse herself. Uh, she doesn't reveal this. And there, there are other examples. There, there's, you know, she has a long history of aggressively going after companies on environmental uh, violations mm -hmm. in California. Well, in Southern California, there's an energy company uh, that has a well blow up. Um, and they have the largest methane gas leak in American history. This thing is spewing methane gas for 10 months, which is a violation. Yeah, the Biden Center would be very upset about this because methane's <laughs> very bad for global warming. Exactly, exactly. Well, Kamala Harris does not investigate and does not prosecute this energy company. You look at the energy company, you find out that not only are there donors to her connected with the company, Jerry Brown, the governor's sister, sits on the board of, of directors of this energy company. So she goes after these sort of small gas stations that have leaks, you know, and, and you know, she should do that. But the largest methane gas leak in American history, there's no prosecution. It's that selective. And what you're talking about is the selective use of law enforcement, which I think is is even more troubling than sort of manipulating the legislative process. Yeah. You know, it's been it's been interesting to watch the approach that um, the Trump campaign has taken with Biden and Harris. One of the things I've been a little conflicted on uh, for, uh, as far as that goes is 
they hit Kamala on her prosecutions, right. you know, that she was a out-of-control prosecutor. Right. Not necessarily making the inconsistent case that you are, but making right. the case that she was too tough on crime, essentially. Right. They hit Biden on the 1994 crime bill. I'm not saying those bills were perfect, but, right. but you know, I'm a law and order guy. And at the same time, they're coming out with a law and order message while right. criticizing this sort of like deeper, um, uh, I, I guess you'd say too harsh on crime stance from both Harris and Biden. Is that is that have you did you find that in in your investigation of Harris? Is that true that she was too tough on crime? Well, I think, uh, again, for me, it's the selective nature. I mean, she did send I, I think the number is over fifteen hundred people to on prison for, uh, you know, sort of minor marijuana uh, right. uh, cases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, interestingly, she later gave an interview and basically said, oh, yeah, you know, I smoked marijuana, you know, myself yeah. sort of thing. So, again, to me, it's kind of a selective nature. But but my view is I don't think that's the biggest problem that Kamala Harris has. I think it's that she views criminal justice through the prism. Are you a friend or are you a political enemy? Because I'm going to determine based on that whether you were going to face the legal consequences um, for what you uh, right. for what you did or what you didn't do. And that's deeply troubling because, again, it's one thing if people are passing bills that are favored to one group or the other. But we want to believe that if you c- commit a crime in this country, that you're going to be held into account. And it shouldn't depend on the political affiliation of the prosecutor. Uh, Kamala Harris's tenure is full of this kind of selective that, to me, is the bigger issue, the sort of tough on crime. I'm generally a, a, a guy who believes that, you know, you've got to have strict laws. You need to enforce them. I think that's a much better um, a criticism of her and I think a more accurate one. Um, yeah, because I, I agree with you on that. And, and it, because a lot of these things are things that Republicans fought for at the time uh, when you were watching the, the convention, because I thought they did a pretty good job with it, frankly, especially in the middle of this. You know, <laughs> the fact yeah. that they were able to pull off a, a relatively watchable uh, situation, I thought was pretty positive. I was surprised, though, not to see all that much Biden corruption, Ukraine, China talk. Right. It was not really heavily featured. Right. Um, you would have been a great speaker there. I don't know if you do that sort of thing. Um, but to outline this, because it is important for, for people to understand, what do they miss? What should they have emphasized? Because I do think that this could make a difference for a lot of people. Well, I do think that, um, you know, Pam Bondi talked about it a little mm-hmm. bit in her speech. Uh, there, there were hints at it. You know, I, I obviously... Um, I'm doing this in my capacity now as an author, and I run a 501c3. We don't, so my statements on this are, are, are more in that direction. But I do think that for many uh, people in the country, left, right, and center, corruption is a main issue and a main concern because it goes to the heart of representative government. Mm. Uh, you know, if you have a, a, a elected official who's beholden to somebody, as I would argue that the Bidens are to, to some of these foreign interests, um, you're not going to actually get them representing your interests. You're going to get that individual representing the interests of the people who are paying them. So I think it's a fundamentally important issue that people need to uh, need to address and need to understand. And I hope we can have a conversation about it in this country. So how do you feel this is going to play out? I mean, when we're coming to an election here, which is everybody says every election is the biggest election of all time. It's just like standard American fare. It does feel that way at some level right now. I mean, I am, you know, I think I I follow politics every day. I can get in this bubble a little bit. But I see much more, I think, this time than any other election, that people who don't normally obsessively follow politics are engaged in this one and particularly are moved by the idea that 
an auto zone can be burned down and no one does anything. Yeah. Um, where do you think the American people are with this? Uh, I think the American people are uh, very disturbed and uncomfortable. I, I have a lot of friends, as I'm sure you probably do, that are generally apolitical. Mm -hmm. They're not interested in politics. That You know, an election comes around, they'll vote, but they're not yep. really. I think there's a laser-like focus now because we're not talking about things that are in the ab abstract, you know, things that are going on overseas or, you know, something related to the deficit, which is hard. Right. We're talking about what is the quality of life in your community going to be like? Um, um, what is, you know, are your kids going to be going to school or are they going to be at home? These are kind of fundamental uh, make or break issues uh, for a lot of people. Um, and I think it creates a, a big dichotomy in the election that um, I think is going to make it in, important and I think is probably helpful um, to Trump because I think it has sort of a, a refining um, a refining feature. Yeah, it kind of boils it down. I think you know, a lot of this stuff is sort of esoteric and out there, and you're thinking of these long-term issues. When you want to go to a Starbucks and all of a sudden it's not there because it's rubble, right. like that's, a, that's a major difference for a lot of people. I agree, and I think you know, if, if you look back at, at uh, other political figures, I think it, it's been a mistake for Joe Biden not to talk about the, the violence and the crime and yeah. to, to, to denounce it earlier. I look back at, you know, Bill Clinton when he was running in 1992. He had the so-called sister soldier yes. moment. Mm -hmm. you, you have to be prepared, uh, uh, I think, particularly um, when you're running against an incumbent to show the American people that you will stand up, even if it's going to cost you with some of your base of supporters. Bill Clinton was prepared to do that in 92 and it worked. I think in this particular case, Joe Biden hasn't done that. And, you know, Joe Biden doesn't have a record of doing that. And I think that's the challenge. He is somebody who generally has moved or evolved with the direction that he felt things were going rather than saying this is the direction I think things should be going. So let me hit you with one more here before we uh, before we uh, go. Um, I'm a guy who does election coverage every election night. Mm -hmm. So I vote absentee all the time. Yeah. I mean, almost every single election I voted and I voted absentee because, you know, we're at the studios. We can't, we can't be at the polls. Right. This is a, a different situation. Is the mail-in voting thing overblown? Is it something we really need to worry about? Where, where, what, is, what is the deal with this? Well, I, I think it's a huge problem. So uh, I voted absentee before, too. Absentee is different. I mean, you request the ballot. There are procedures in place to make sure who's getting it. What's being proposed with mail-in balloting is not that people request a mail ballot. It's that everybody that's on the voter registration rolls gets a ballot. Right. They did this in in uh, in. Uh, Nevada uh, a few months ago for their primaries because of the whole COVID and the newspapers there were reporting and showing pictures of, of you know, ballots that were going into apartment buildings and people were just tossing them, stacking them up because, the, you know, ballots were sent to people who no longer lived in those apartments. Well, Somebody can easily pick those up and do as many votes as they want. And, and then the question becomes, how do you prove that they're valid or that they're invalid? So I think that mail-in voting is a big problem. And I think we are unfortunately setting ourselves up for some real trouble because the Republicans are essentially saying, go to the polls, vote the old fashioned way, get in line. Democrats are putting mail-in balloting. We can be in a situation where election night, Donald Trump, let's say, is ahead. Mm. But three days later, when these mail-in ballots come in and you don't know what the custody's been, suddenly Joe Biden's ahead. And you have a recipe there in this crisis of, of, of a tinderbox 
uh, that could explode, and that yes. that that really uh, that really concerns me for the sake of the country. Yeah, that, that I'm, not, I, I'm certainly not excited about Joe Biden becoming a president, um, but it almost scares me more that an election situation like this could come down because it's the very fabric. Of, of our entire republic uh, rests on this being reliable. Yeah, the notion of the peaceful transfer of power. Yeah, used to be, I feel like I've always heard that and be like, oh wow, you guys have the peaceful transfer of power. And it's like, of course we do. I mean, we're in the United States. That is at doubt, in doubt, I feel like right now, for yeah. multiple reasons, by the yes. way, and not just mail-in voting. Yeah. Um, we could go into so much more, but you spent enough time. I, I do appreciate it. Peter Schweizer, uh, the newest uh, book is Profiles in Corruption, uh, Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elite. It's available now. It goes really into a lot of depth on all of this stuff uh, with everyone from Harris to even Bernie and all of this stuff. It's a great read. And you've partnered with Blaze TV to uh, distribute the new documentary uh, you're featured in, of course, Riding the Dragon, the Biden's Chinese Secrets, the full documentary is available now for blaze tv subscribers using the promo code dragon 20 to save 20 bucks off your blaze subscription peter thanks for coming on the program great to be here Stu. thanks for having me i appreciate it back in a second with a clean energy strategy that is a place for the energy workers right here in western pennsylvania I am not banning fracking. Let me say that again. I am not banning fracking, no matter how many times Donald Trump lies about me. Interesting that fracking has made a little comeback here, as uh, that used to be something that people on the left would always want to ban. Uh, Now, at least Biden is claiming he doesn't want to do that. Wait till he gets into office and you'll see how that one turns out. I hate to ruin the surprise, but it's got an M. Night Shyamalan twist. (laughs) <laughs> he bans fracking. Okay, um, this one, I can't go uh, through the end of the show without showing, of course, the Biden, most Biden-esque moment of the Biden speech. Here he is blathering all over himself. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, has taken more than 100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just, it's, <laughs> I mean, you think about it. Oh, I'm thinking. More lives this year than any other year for the past hundred years. Oh man, it just doesn't work anymore. Sometimes, sometimes it just doesn't work anymore. Back in a second. You know what is fun? Real estate during a pandemic. Isn't it great? I know I love it so. Uh, Realestateagentsitrust.com is here to make sure that, look, it's not going to be easy to sell your home uh, during um, a pandemic. coronavirus uh, scare, though the market's pretty freaking strong right now if you happen to be a seller. Uh, People are dealing with all the restrictions around it and saying, you know what, I want to get out of these cities. Let me hit to the burbs a little bit. Um, If you need your house uh, fixed up when you're going to sell it, this might be a good time to get that stuff done. A real estate agent can show you exactly which stuff that should be fixed up, what stuff's not worth, you know, wasting your money and time on. When you have realestateagentsitrust.com in your corner, you have the best. And so realestateagentsitrust.com are the people to call uh, to make sure that, you know, look, you have a screened agent who is actually good at what they do, not doing it part-time, doing it full-time. The name says it all, realestateagentsitrust.com. Get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now, realestateagentsitrust.com. Love getting reviews on iTunes. Let's do a few. Stu does the truth. Five freaking stars because that is what anyone spreading the truth deserves. It might sound novel, but he gives you the facts and tells you where to confirm them. I know. Five freaking stars. Mostly peaceful show. 
Stu is no Sarah Gonzalez, but whatever, his show is still great. That's true. Five freaking stars. The correct number of stars. Stu does everything under the sun with real facts and his signature sarcasm. I've never been sarcastic in my life. What are you talking about? Uh, Making the show not only an educating uh, experience, but an entertaining one. It's great. Whatever. Five freaking stars. Horrible program. The host only cares about facts and not feelings. He looks like Greta Thunberg in drag, culturally appropriating an agent from The Matrix, which is exactly the look I'm going for. It's great. Whatever. Five freaking stars. Why five stars? Because six isn't an option, and it's great. Whatever. Five freaking stars. I mean, it's almost like perfection. I'm certainly not just picking the good ones. You can rate it as well uh, on iTunes. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. We'll see you tomorrow.